Hey, welcome to another episode of Mark's Music Loft. I'm here with my good dear friend, comedian, Matthew Burke. Hello, everyone. So, he's here today, and uh, you know, an easy thing is we grew up buying a lot of records together, seeing a lot of concerts together and stuff. You know what wouldn't hurt? He doesn't get to talk about it on stage or anything else. Is uh, like I say, albums or CD. We say albums, right? It's really whatever you want to call them. Albums that were important to him, that still hold up, and it could change any minute. But you want to talk about that, Burke? Give him what you got. It could change any minute. This is a lot of pressure. So? To come up with a number. So? So how about Live at Leeds? Okay. So Which I, also I found out recently was Jordy Walker of Killing Joke, one of his favorite albums. Okay. First time with Scott Muni. I'd never heard The Who live. I was into The Who. I was 14. Right. I was coming home from high school. I uh, got off the bus. I was walking, and Scott Muni plays the My Generation medley from uh, Live at Leeds. And I had a record button on the Walkman for some reason. I could record off the radio on my Walkman. So I hit record right away. And that blew me away. And I must have listened to that tape thousands of times after that until I was able to buy the album. I remember you were a mental case about that album, and it was good. <laughs> I, I, I only borrowed it from you, and I knew it was an important album, but I I think I didn't appreciate it until I finally listened to the whole thing through. I think most people go, wow, Pete Townsend's an amazing guitar player by the time they finish, in a way that they didn't know. Agree? Yes. Even though it was rumored that Eddie Van Halen used to get drunk and call Pete Townsend late at night and point out the mistakes he made on live at Leeds. Is he even allowed to do that? I don't know. That's the rumor. That's a silly-ass rumor. So, I know you're a big Who fan, and live at Leeds made a lot of sense. Doesn't shock me. Yeah, like, I can't even listen to the new one, because it has all the extra songs and stuff. I'm like, this isn't live at Leeds. Live at Leeds has six songs. That live at Leeds is so long that once I think I drove most way to Boston... Yeah. For that, I swear to God, the whole thing. Like, it was so long, and I didn't think it was bad, but it consumed... I was like, wow, this is like the new long live at Leeds, so... Because it's got the whole Tommy in it. It's got good to have a document of a live Tommy from that era. Oh, absolutely, dude. It's um, it's very, very good. So, there you have live at Leeds is one Burke's big one. Come on, use your head. Now I'm out of crap. No, you're I not. look around this room. No, 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 you're not. So, think about, like, uh, you what know... about the joke? You're going to put Killing... Look, I'm a, we're all big Killing Joke guys, but for you, growing up, around all the music you've ever listened to, you're going to pull them forward into like a top five, top ten? I mean, you could. That's what I'm saying. This is this is a lot of pressure, this listing. Yeah, but right now, if there's a guy with a gun to your head saying, your brain's on that wall, I need uh-huh. the ones that when... If I cut you off from music, I'm going to lock you in this room, and this is going to have to do until the end of time. See, I'm talking around the desert island disc with yeah, another... Yeah, this is a desert island thing. Right, but you got to... But that, but saying, like, you know, like Killing Joke, I love them. I would say the first album's the best. Now, if you, oh, what about Night... It, it, the first album's the best because there was nothing like it before it, kind of, sort of. And everything after it was just cooler versions of the first album. That's what I would say about Killing Joke. So if I had to be in a room, and when I put on my top 100, even though some, oh, what about Nighttime? What I, I, I think I listen to Brighter Than a Thousand Suns more than I listen to the first album. But the first album stands. It's like just the, the blueprint for everything. What about Dirt? 
Dirt Wise. Dirt Wise Request Emotions, blah, blah, blah. I think that's a great album, but it does not surpass the first album. Even with the story behind it? No, can't surpass it. Because uh, the first album is, is too much of a good template for too many other things that I hear when I'm listening. I just connect everything. Um, realize once you once you have your production going forward and you start selling records, you start making different decisions, right? I don't think they did that on their first album. They put out a bunch of ridiculous singles that only an underground sort of knew. There were no guitar solos. There were, the market for it was questionable. Was it a Black Sabbath market, right? What market was there for that music at the time when punk kind of ends and runs out of gas? Heavy metal is being re-mechanized in the 80s for primetime production. Um, Martin Birch style with like Iron Maiden, Judas Priest. So, so Killing Joke was something that you had to like go, wow, what's this? So, that's my well, point. What's this for? Oh, you can't make Killing Joke song references without crediting them, Burke. We have an audience that may not know that. So, well, yeah. I'm a snob, so they gotta catch up. You have to, you know, I'm just trying to say be kind. Sex Pistols? Yeah, what's wrong with that? That's in my top 10 now. I mean, it's. If we're going Desert Island route, I wouldn't want to live with that without that. Well, exactly. You wouldn't want to live without it. It wouldn't make, it just wouldn't make any sense. So go ahead, talk about it. Now, while it's on this podcast, we, they're not here to totally bore you, but here's something to take. This is what I mean. It's boring to just talk about it. I like John Lydon because at the time when I heard album finally, now this is a problem. You're in music and you're like, well, I like music polished and this and that. Oh, great. John Lydon arrived at a time where now I can deal with him because he's playing with musicians. Yeah, that's what I was saying to myself. And I didn't listen to the Sex Pistols because I just lived off the media, no internet back then, and you had the album. And I didn't notice. I'll tell you when I asked for the album. I asked to borrow the album. After my father died, nothing made sense anymore. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't like angry psychopath. I just wanted music that didn't subscribe to, and it also is fun. I think I needed something that was alive and fun and not laid out for me like the other thing so then I was like yeah this is great so everybody gets into the Sex Pistols at a certain time so how did you get into it? I was curious I remember I bought the sing- I bought the Anarchy in the UK single from uh, out in Douglaston there they had it behind the counter for a long time so I said I'm going to do it I want to see what this is about so I bought that and I was like wow it was like the first time I heard the Ramones kind of thing right so soon after that, I went. I think I found the nice price of Nevermind the Bollocks. And I must have listened to that a thousand times, too. I was pretty fascinated by it when I listened to it more and more and more. And the thing is, it's an old album that everybody just keeps renewing by getting, getting their hands on it for the first time. And everybody's like, well, wow, this is the greatest thing. I think that's what makes it a great album. It's weird that it never seems to get tired sounding. And... You know, although John other, Ly- stuff, other stuff from that era, you're like, okay, I get it. That was what it sounded, but something about that album. But I don't. I think through time you realize it's a great album because I wasn't for some reason putting it in my top ten. I was putting like London Calling, and then putting it in my eleven to twenty category. And then I was like, but why do you do that? I'm like, why? Because it doesn't. It, it needs to be polished or whatever. So I realized we do silly things, and we should just go with our instincts on music that we like. So look, this is good, Burke. You're digging into your mind. I am. Think of other stuff. So far you said the Who killing joke and Sex Pistols. Look, that's what you came up with. So you don't have to look around the room and figure shit out. Just think of things where you're like, yeah. And, uh, what did I think of what we were talking Oh, the Ramones, It's Alive. 
That's a document, right? Of an era of them, right? Uh, without having to pick like an individual album. That was like the holy grail for a long time for you kids listening out there. I got it at a garage sale for three bucks. Yeah, you had more on that. vinyl. Yeah, you had more of that than I did. And uh, remember Joe Strummer in the documentary talking about seeing them the first time, and everybody thought they were just going to be a sloppy, sloppy punk band that didn't know what they were doing, and they came out like a buzzsaw and just ripped through that set. It was a, it was a close. I don't think it was the same set, but it was the same period. Well, I think it was, it was, um, I learned more about the Ramones from, I think I borrowed stuff from you primarily, and um, I did a recent thing. Now, if someone asked me, what's your favorite Ramones album? First album. I actually checked all of them. I think the first one is just unreal. Now, like I said, that with Killing Joke, they never made a better album album than that. I know there's that Alive and all those other things might be cool, but as far as just getting out of the gate... I thought that the first one, if you go back and revisit it, you may be even more pleasantly surprised and say, oh, wow, I never noticed that. All right, I'm going to go totally different direction now. Good. And this is completely personal, and I don't necessarily know if it's going to be top 10 Desert Island for me, but Oxygene by uh, Jean-Michel Jure. What's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with it. It, it, it put me into the... Uh, when did I get that from you? You gave me a cassette tape. Uh, yeah, I had a cassette. You were at 15, 16. I, I, had, I had a cassette tape of that when, um, for, for, uh, from my brother, who discovered it through another guy. Yeah. And uh, I had the pleasure of seeing uh, Jean-Michel Jarre at Radio City Music Hall two years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, he played that stuff live. But for anyone who doesn't know who he is, which would be sad to listen to this podcast, Jean-Michel Jarre is a famous synthesizer player from France... It was a guy who could, what people are doing today with whatever, ambient, electronica, he was able to achieve a lot of that in the 70s, and, and when he started playing wide open spaces 20, 30 years later, he was already doing that stuff. And I think he creates a science fiction world of music inside what he does. He gives a, a, a very, very different, um, it's like, you, you'd have to listen to Jean-Michel Jarre rather than hear about him. And I'd recommend everybody do that. Just go go take your your Spotify or whatever. Find Oxygen. Find the second album, Equinox. If you stop there, you're good. You're better than like anybody. Because anything he did after that is fantastic. But uh, you know, he was part of like it was kind of a bridge, like him, Giorgio Moroder, people but, of that era, kind of a bridge from like what can. What was going on in the 60s? I would give him more credit as a composer than Giorgio Moroda. Now, Giorgio yeah. Moroda was more of a film guy making stuff commercial. I don't know if Jean-Michel Jarre intended to make commercial music or not. I, I guess I'd have to, you know, read more about what he did with that album. But that album was a risk. Just like Mike Oldfield, Tubular Bells, was a risk for Virgin. You got to know people's patience for instrumental music for two sides of music on vinyl, what it is, and also synthesizers. 100% synthesizers, showing it as a compositional instrument, he seemed to do very well with it. Yeah, I used to listen to that on the headphones in bed, and I think that set me, that set that trajectory for me for electronic music, which I'm still... Well, I think anyone can... Into. I think anyone can begin there, right? I think so, if you're 15, 16... 
and you have a walkman with a tape, uh, a tape player. I think um, it's definitely stuff to be looked at. Go ahead, keep talking. I can't talk you into your top ten. Uh, still thinking. What else do I like? Would I have to put a King Crimson in there? Well, why wouldn't you? I don't want to go with another live album. Well, it's really simple. I, my top, my top album of all time, and you Red. can't cheat. Well, no. I, I thought about it very carefully. Starless. No. Best King Crimson album. In another case, first album. Why? After Greg Lake died, I could hear things a little more clearly. Everything's based on that. And the thing is, when you listen to that album, you can take that as, oh, well, that's psychedelia or whatever. It's a, it's a document before King Crimson had the ambition to do different things, replace players. There's an innocence about that album. There's a violence to 21st century schizoid man that's irrefutable that people can find in the earliest Sabbath, in the earliest Led Zeppelin. But, uh... The, the music, because it's not blues-based also, is psychedelic, it touches on uh, rock, it touches on things the Moody Blues already were at, and I think they take it somewhere else. I think because of the uh, weird time signatures, the use of the Mellotron, and uh, the instrumentation with the horns and so forth, as a four-piece band, they've never duplicated that since. Everything they did after it that I've listened to even more than the first album can't surpass that first album in originality. So I only came to that conclusion, I don't know, a few years ago. Do you sleep better? I do. Even with the apnea mask? With the what? With the apnea mask? No, yeah, that too. So it's um, it's thinking about it like that. So I don't want to force feet, force things out of you. You have to, you have to actually pretend that you've listened to music. <laughs> what about? Uh, Steve Roach Structures from Silence That's your freaking in your, in your top If I had to pick One ambient album To take along To the desert island I think it would be that Because I could listen To that inf- infinitely Well I mean I can't say anything Against it and, and The thing with Steve Roach Is you can't do this For the audience You're probably more Into my I know who he is I've been listening To him since 1989 But give a sketch On that guy Because you're throwing It out there Like he's lead guitar player For uh, a band uh, Steve Roach was A uh, what was he, a motocross? He was a motocross driver. I didn't know that. He was a, uh, and why would a I motorcycle racer. And why would I know that? I don't know. But uh, he dropped that and became an ambient composer and built a studio in the desert. And he's got, uh, what, 5,000 albums? But if you sift through, uh, if you want to start someplace, I guess Structures from Silence. It's a three-track album. Uh... Fits Brian Eno's description for me of perfect ambient music, uh, which he said, you forget that you're listening to it. That's the hallmark of good ambient music, is that you forget you're listening to it. And yet you put but that... bringing up Brian Eno now, yeah. I should have said, about, I should have said uh, music for airports or something. Okay. Now, you should, uh, you could say that if you listen to it to death and you like it, I'd put that in my top 100, I'm putting my top 10, but... Um, you get other people that don't like his ambient period that would take his Here Come the Warm Jets and they'll worship it from a glam Roxy music perspective. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I'm all about Brian. I, I did that Roxy music podcast, the last one. And the only reason, I, like people, and, and you've met them and I met they go, oh, Brian, you know, it's not a, what do you mean he's not a real musician? He was a synthesizer player in a band that everybody knew. He did two albums. 
And then he, he stopped being a band member and even was a solo artist with people playing guitar, drums, and bass on his album. So, I mean, I just thought he looked like a weird guy when I was young. We didn't like him, right? We thought he was weird. But weird was, I don't know what that is. Yeah. So therefore, I don't like it. Then when he made That's something... That's the best part about being young. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, he made something I like, so now he's good. And then when you had a headache one day and, you, and Ashburn wouldn't do it, you, you listen to... Um, you know, the Thursday afternoon album, and you were like, oh, ain't more of this. podcast for that other people do oh my wife cool i don't do that oh my you, you you have to you know the audience doesn't care about that they care a little bit if you make it funny but there's nothing funny that would have came out of that um i would have had to go out and speak the phone anyway it wouldn't have really worked out but i'll get right back to him in a bit so like i said without without water torturing the audience um you don't have to pull stuff out of here you, you mentioned you know mention an album or two james addictions good. first now uh, that's ahead of everything else we're going by my tastes okay. that change day to day. Right. We're talking about things that affected me. Right. That were important. Not quite the. It's really the second album because they put the live album uh, first. Things that affected you, right? Not like child abuse. So or nothing something shocking. Like no, this was much more important than that. Nothing shocking. Nothing shocking. Change addiction. You remember we saw them open for Iggy Pop. We did. I didn't. And have... I was like, who the hell are these guys? And you were like, what is this crap? I'm going to pee off off the bridge, off the side of the pier. But I didn't know if they had to know that. Teenage, well, teenage you years. Gotta, in New York. You gotta open up if this is gonna be successful. All right. Well, listen. Gotta, there was no, there was no, there was not enough places. There weren't enough places. Yeah, honestly, there were twenty other guys behind the the thing doing the same thing. Yeah, it's like it's like New York in the eighties. Let's be fair, mm-hmm. right? New York as a mess in the eighties, which was one indistinguishable, unindistinguishable, I guess, urinal to some degree. But James and Dick- as a young child, you could get as many free cigarettes as you wanted. I was trying to tell my brother that at the mm-hmm. pier, yeah, Newports, they would just hand out fistfuls of cigarettes to children. It was great. It was a great time. Uh, if you needed lots of cigarettes, definitely. Um, not something I was totally jacked about, but you know what? James Addiction made that other album uh, a few years back in 2012 that I thought was great. It's so funny, like, and it got slammed in, like, The Village Voice or whatever. And I'm like, it's a great album. Just because it was mellow. It wasn't, I, I, the, the one with that song, Underground? Yeah. What was wrong with that? It, it, it comes right out of the gate, and then everybody's like, oh, I don't like it. And then I'm like, I'm sorry, that was great. And then they did a live album after that, I think. And I was okay, but I'm like, so do you want them to reform or not? You know, that's... I don't know what people want sometimes when uh, from their so-called heroes, right? They still do one-offs. I saw them a few years ago. I mean, they, they do no wrong as far as a band that rocks and through time, there's no way to dismiss their ability to rock. So they had they caused the industry to have to come up with the word alternative. I suppose it uh, seems it's all mishmashy now. That it's established as a as this genre, which is probably passe, but at the time there was nothing to call them, even though they were just a rock band. I'll go with they that. Were that different then. I'll go with that. I think um, 
in that time, you know, you, what's that time, right? You could say late 80s, early 90s, but by the earliest 90s, people were jumping on that train for sure. Oh, absolutely. People were definitely like, oh, I love Jane's Addiction. And, and that's fine. And that's uh, unfortunately for them as a band, when all the drugs and hijinks kicked in and uh, gave them the same difficulties that it gives every other band. People leaving, coming, going, saying bad things about each other, starting a side project, py- pornos for pyros, remember that? Yeah. So it's like unfortunate consequence of um, typical success thing, like anybody says. Bad Brains Live album. Oh my God, that's one of the most important albums. I'll go with that. For me. I, that's gotten me through a lot of stuff. Did you see... When everything else fails, I'll put on the first five songs as loud as possible. Did you see the punk uh, documentary on Epics? Four parts? No. So they, they interviewed um, uh, Bad Brains and that. Uh, what's the singer's name? Daryl? No, guitar player is Daryl. What's Dr. the singer's Darryl. name? Da- at HR. HR. So they interviewed uh, them in HR... I think he got tired of the poundingness of the scene and the heaviness of the scene. And that's why he... I didn't know why he ever broke off with Bad Brains. I think schizophrenia. He, but he, he, Did that, you see Finding Joseph I? No. There's a documentary on Netflix, on uh, Amazon. Finding Joseph I, all about him. Very interesting. Very sad at points. He was very screwed up with the schizophrenia. Voices, I, the whole thing. I mean, I didn't... He had I, to take off for a while. I guess that happens with a lot of singers and if he didn't do drugs then then that's sad that it happened for him but I think um, I think I, I heard that they were very tight players before they went hardcore I heard they were like trying I heard to they do, were fusion players yeah fusion players and then said you know okay you know now we're gonna do hardcore I don't think it was they just woke up in the middle of the night and said well did but it it's interesting that because they were such tight musicians that they were indisputable in how they executed that music. I mean, it was... You hear great bass playing, great guitar playing, great drumming. Um, you hear a lot of notes in between and things like that. So I got nothing bad to say about Bad Brains. I got nothing but good things to say. Is that it? That's all you got? What do we do, like six? I think that I'm spent. If you're spent, you're spent. That's yeah, I'm going to think about 20 more on the way home. So, so you, we'll do part two someday. There could be another podcast for that. The idea is you just want to know what anybody's thinking. Empty vessel you can't do anything with. Mm-hmm. Guy goes, I, I don't really, I haven't bought a CD in years. Uh, and then, you know, you see a guy at work singing a commercial. What's that? Guy's humming like things that I'm like, I understand a guy gets... It's a victim of the system. <laughs> I mean, it, it's pretty ridiculous when you're like, dude, you don't have any like favorites or... Look. When you're into music, you sound like too much of a know-it-all idiot that people get annoyed with. If if you're not into music, you're like soulless to work with if you have to be near somebody all day. And they're like, no, so look, you did what you did in a podcast. We won't torture you. But uh, anything else you want to say, Matt Burke, about the state of music or anything? Anything at all. I just wish I was younger so I knew what was going on. You ever think that? You ever think you're missing out on what is actually going on right now? Yes and no. And when I feel you know, when you're to the street like you did, you, no. stuff's not being passed back and forth, word of mouth. Yeah. The way we would discover bands. Who's this? Who's that? How? Let's how? go see them. They're playing Tuesday. I don't know who they are. Uh, yes. Five years later, everybody knows who they are. I say yes and no because then somebody directs my attention to something and they goes, "Here's here's your here. Check this out." And I listen to it and then I go, "Ah." You know, so definitely good to start here. 
Anything else you want to say prolifically about music? No, I got nothing left. All right, I'm sure for another time. Burke may be joining other podcasts with other thoughts, I'm sure. And um, But this was just a maiden voyage. Hope you enjoyed it. Spread this all over the place. Matt Burke, comedian. You don't do comedy dates because in a podcast, they'll be old. Right. Right? So you can't say, I'm playing here, I'm playing there. But you didn't release any album or anything, right? No, not CD? yet. Okay. That'll be on my top ten. All right. I do. Uh, at Hey Matt Burke, if you want to. <laughs>